0: everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk episode 545, recorded today, live on Wednesday the 15th of August. This is the podcast to do with music technology, synthesizers, software, all that kinds of stuff, controllers, uh, analog synthesizers, software synthesizers, um, I, I think I've covered it all, live production, whatever we can we can dream up to fill our uh, fill our time here. It's the last the show lasts about an hour if you've not seen it before. And if you like what you see, please do subscribe on YouTube. Uh, and you'll get notifications every time we go live. We've also got lots and lots of other content. In fact, I published... An extremely long Profit X uh, review yesterday, which was nearly 40 minutes. But because I was doing the samples and the synthesis, there's just so much to cover. So, And I'm sure I missed some stuff anyway. But if you like that sort of thing, do check out the channel. SonicState.com. I want to say hello to our YouTube chatties. Uh, there they all are. If, uh, if you want to join that, uh, basically just go to YouTube and you can join the YouTube stream chat. We've also got our own little IRC, or we will have when I've got it plugged in, which I probably should do now. Uh, which is um, uh, where the IRC is, right? That's that's thrown me. Now I've got to actually try and find out where that window is and fix it. That's a bit annoying. There it is. Right, I'm going to fix it now. This is a bit of... You can tell this is live because nothing's working. Change. (laughs) Desktop capture. Yeah, I want that. So that should do it now. So now we should have... Uh IRC, there we go, IRC chatties, which can be found at sonicstate.com forward slash live. Phew, that was pretty painless. Anyway, uh, welcome one and all. Uh, say hello to our panelists. Uh, we've got, uh, we'll start with, oh, let's start with Mr. Yoad Nevo, who we haven't seen for a little while. Yoad's uh, there in his uh, excellent facility in London where he produces, mixes, writes. Uh, also is a developer for waves working on a new big thing which one day he'll be able to tell us what it is I'm sure and that every time we ask him that day gets even closer how are you yoad
1: yeah very well yeah still working on that big thing um yeah, yeah. Excellent. actually involved
0: yeah <laughs> 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 nothing to say nothing more to say about
1: that i you know I think I've said so many. I, I've said it so many times, but just wait and see. Yeah, hopefully it will be worth the, the wait. I think it will.
0: I'm sure it will. It's funny. We've been through this cycle before because uh, we used to have these conversations with Dave Spears when he'd be working on the thing. And very early on, because he's been with us for such a long time, very early on, he, he, he realized that it's not a good idea to say anything until you're basically having mm-hmm. the ink the boxes inked, or yeah, as you would do in those days. So yeah, exactly. uh, wise, wise move, <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, lovely to have you aboard. And uh, you. we've also got Mr. Steve Hillier, who we haven't had a chance to see yet. Last time we tried to get him hooked up uh, from uh, Spain, but the local internet just wasn't quite up to scratch. How are you, Steve? Yeah,
2: I, I'm very good. Thank you. It was a real shame. I thought it was, it was going to be fun. The, um, the fiber optic to our, our place down there, uh, we'd switched off and not, and sort of left the house for a few weeks and when we came back we forgot to switch it on and It was like a it just meant that the only way we could do the connection was through my mobile phone which also meant that i had to be outside so i was thinking this is going to look great this is we'll have the mediterranean we'll have the sunshine uh unfortunately we didn't have the data so it didn't happen
0: yeah, um, well, so often it's the little things that tend to uh, yeah. stymie our technology these days. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Anyway, Steve Hillier, uh, educator, producer, DJ, songwriter, um, a man of many talents. And uh, what have you been doing, anyway? Uh, uh, holidaying or working down there? Uh,
2: no, 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 um, no. There's a big writing uh, project that I'm finishing. I've got a, for the first time in a while on a on a actual writing project Uh, I've got a deadline which is next Wednesday so I've been uh, collaborating with some people down uh, first of all in Montpellier in France which was amazing actually I love it there I would thoroughly recommend a a trip there Um, and then also uh, back in Brighton but then down in Spain as well which is why I was down there and um yes yeah, so it's all going to be done by next wednesday and i discovered last night I, I i'm sure like most of the writers here would have had an experience like this that there was one piece that i thought was the, the best piece of all so i played it to somebody else it's something i had done on my own only to discover that i'd kind of sailed off into the sunset creatively and sort of lost the plot but in a nice way so now i've got to come up with something completely new tonight to get to a singer tomorrow morning uh to have the whole thing completed next wednesday so
0: yeah i'm keeping calm black coffee. yeah well sometimes those creative deadlines can yield fascinating results because you just have to instinctively do what yeah. you instinctively do at least that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> so good luck with that <laughs> uh, also we've got mr charles chicky reeves who's back in the uk uh there's his matrix brute loud and proud I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that you haven't got a message programmed in leds on there charles oh i know like your you know time is i know your time is valuable but i mean sometime you've got to prioritize things for things like yeah. that
3: yeah yeah i i do i do love that thing i should i should program something like that oh and i have my new toy here my new rev2 which i bought oh, nice. after watching your review about it i decided um, that's what i needed
0: <laughs> and how are you finding it
3: I find it; it's just right there. It's really easy to find. Sorry, (laughs) that's that's an American joke. Uh, I I love it. I love it. I didn't think I would like it because I haven't really liked other Dave Smith stuff. I mean, I think it's great. It's just not really been my thing. But I love this. It sounds fantastic.
0: (laughs) It's just there is there is yeah there is a certain something about it. I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's it's about. It's got a very special sound, and I find the two of these together uh, with the OP1 and the mini log you know it's just a it's a nice and the organelle it's a nice combination of textures and I'm, I'm working on a soundtrack which actually this reminds me of something was just mentioned so i i'm working on this soundtrack thing doing this science fiction thing and um so i was really happy i like really broke through got something really creatively done and then i, I just on a lark at the end of the night I decided, oh, I'm going to listen to something just to cleanse the palate. And I put on the Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner soundtrack. And I was like, oh my God, I just blatantly ripped off several major pieces from this without realizing it. Oh, wow. It's like, so I had to strike the whole thing and start all over. But I like what I did in the end anyway. But it's like, ah, oh, it's so frustrating. I hadn't heard the soundtrack in a while. And I guess I kind of had forgotten because the melodies are so simple. It's that Hans Zimmer thing of using two or three notes to make a melody, and that's it and, uh, and i done something kind of like that and then i realized <laughs> the only is the same key it's the same intervals in the same order it's like uh still so start over but well yeah, to be fair if it's
0: only three notes the probabilities are fairly high that it's going to resemble yeah. something else so i mean yeah Absolutely. I, I, I will try and uh, I, I i'm sure i'm sure you can recycle it and use it somewhere else where perhaps it's not for a client you never know
3: yeah exactly so anyway that's what i'm on that's oh well, glad to
0: hear. to hear it. That sounds really fascinating. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to start with a bit of fun, and this might link into uh, our initial discussions, actually. So, uh, oh, I did want to say, um, obviously, Isotope are sponsoring the show with a prize. Uh, you can win Vocal Synth Two a little bit later on. Uh, should come up about halfway through the show. So please stay stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's have a listen to this. If you can take it. This is the 1969. IHOP commercial, that's International House of Pancakes for those who perhaps aren't stateside. With a nuclear family running across fields with balloons for some reason. And the thing that's quite interesting about this is is the fact that it's actually fairly heavily synthesised. Of course it says pancakes on the outside, but... So, and the reason this came up, now this is, this is a, fe- I know this is fairly random. Uh, I've been experimenting with some kind of more challenging headline types this week. And uh, I think my headline for this was uh, this 1969 IHOP, uh, was it fe- featured 1969 IHOP, that uh, featured modular synths, but it's still horrible. And and there are, are, I know that's perhaps a little unfair, but I mean, judging by today's standards, yes, it's perhaps a little bit kind of like uh, ooh. And there's been all sorts of reactions. The reason this came out is Mark Doty, or Automatic Gainsay, his alter ego on Facebook, uh, just said, you know, there's so few of these instruments around in 1969. There must have been only three or four people. Who probably did it, but we, we we don't know who it was and why. And, it, and I guess you know, it's very forward thinking of uh, IHOP to actually utilise these sort of instruments on what is a kind of family mainstream commercial. So you know, it, the, in terms of in terms of the kind of creative behind it, it's actually got lots of things going for it. The, the end result, by today's standards, is perhaps a little grating and a bit cheesy, but using a lot of cutting edge things. So first of all, I suppose I. I Mark Mark was saying that he thought maybe it was a, a modular, and I suppose nineteen sixty nine modular was probably what it would have been. I don't know whether that's uh, uh, whether that's true or not. Buchler, I mean, would anybody maybe. know that? Do you think a book? Buch- yeah. Oh, that would be ironic, wouldn't it? That would be really ironic, as Buchler obviously um, was much more into less mainstream.
1: <laughs> exactly, but uh, but what I would like is to maybe. Ask them to send me the the groove track, the MIDI groove track of that, because that could be the (laughs) basis of a really cool kind of broken beat, broken beat (laughs) track. It's like, it sounds like it was played, you know, it wasn't even six ones. Yeah, it was totally manually and uh, perhaps without even a, a click track or something. Yeah. Sounds maybe it was, maybe
0: it was cut up, tape tape cut up kind of style. That was the other possibility it could have been.
1: Actually, you know that I've, I've heard of someone who studied, I don't remember in which university, in, in Belgium or something like that, and his assignment was to create a multitrack by cutting tape, not like that, but like that. So basically cross-fading. So if you put two pieces of tape, each one has a different thing recorded, and you and you then slice it like that, you will have crossfades. You know what I mean? Oh, that's and things like that. So, yeah. So maybe. I
0: have to be quite a long, it'd be pretty hard to, because I mean, you know, we say that, but actually, you're yeah, yeah. probably talking 17 inches per you second. Would, you're talking exactly. about 15 you, feet. You would probably,
1: a... <laughs> you know, probably want to do it in seven and a half uh, IPS, not, yeah, not, I, not I, more I would than I would that. I so. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah it's interesting um I, I'll, I'll come to other reactions first before because this this brings up some <laughs> other interesting questions as well uh, charles uh, you're probably just a little bit too old to remember that from your youth i'd imagine
3: uh, too young to too young
0: sorry that. i do beg your pardon
3: yeah <laughs> um, uh, uh, that was uh my grandfather's generation but uh you know the uh god i didn't realize that um international health pancakes served lsd as well that's just that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> i thought you know you were talking about the nuclear family i was like it's more like the nuclear mutant family there's just the strangest sounding i should thing add I've it, heard. Allegedly,
0: allegedly to that statement <laughs>
3: yeah it was that's the crazy i heard that the other day that thing is that is the craziest thing and i don't remember the i remember their ads from a few years later and by the way now they're called I think International House of Burgers, they changed their name just recently, like in the past couple of months. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, and, and Burger King. Hmm. Yeah, IHOP, exactly. And Burger King has been trolling them on Twitter about it ever since. They're going to call themselves Pancake King or something like that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's... I, I I can't... Yeah, there weren't that many modules around. And it. it probably was... Yeah, it probably was a book club. I mean, yeah. The irony being, he wasn't really into going for the mainstream. Well, that is very much not a mainstream thing, even though it ended up as an iHop commercial. But you know, that's the sort of thing. Like, if it had, if it had been, if it had gained some traction, I would have heard that at some point. But I've never heard that, so that commercial probably died a very quiet death. Um, <laughs> it's the strangest thing. Very creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I but know it, what you're also, saying. But it appeals to everything I love about music. Like I love that that time period and that sort of like half remembered dream kind of state, you know, hypnagogic state, and I love that kind of stuff. But that's just too weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Try, imagine trying to put a beat to that. That would be so. Yeah, that would funny. be pretty challenging, well, I'd
2: imagine. Well, I suppose yeah. Ball to Canada have kind of made a whole career out of doing that. Mm-hmm. which is a, a funny thing. When I was looking at this advert earlier, there was a f- couple of things that made me laugh. And, and just before you cut it off, Nick, there's, the narrator said something which just, I just really got me thinking. He says, price is designed for a very hungry family. I was just thinking, so what price is that? What would that be? Would that be really cheap? <laughs> Really expensive. I I don't know. So (laughs) uh, we'll have to find out. That's quite subtle. Affordable. eh? Okay.
0: You'd never get that subtle. Uh, But Steve, this is this brings up an interesting thing, and it ties in a little bit with what you were saying earlier. This sort of mad deadline. I mean, the thing is, you know, that because of the, you know. Judging it by the standards of now, you know, some of them might think it's horrible, some think it's kind of cute or interesting or whatever, but it comes to that thing when you, you know, you as a musician or as a producer or whoever, you have to take work, you take work, sometimes you don't get to choose all the good stuff that you could work on, so you have to take jobs where you just think, oh, do I really have to, and you just have to get on with it and do it and it's just kind of uh, that that scenario where you find you're, you're you're not very proud of doing it at the time but you know sometimes when you look back it's actually oh actually that wasn't so bad and i i just wondered whether the, there there yeah. were any that that triggered any memories or uh, thoughts
2: Oh man. Well, yeah, I, I did. I did think about this, and yeah, I've got a long history of doing things for money that I'm not proud of. <laughs> In
0: fact, musically, I should add, right? Yeah.
2: Yes. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, the very, um, the very first piece of music that I did to a commission was back in 1990 and it was for a, a radio station up in the northeast called Metro Metro FM I think it's still there and um I didn't really know what I was doing but I was happy to take the money uh, and the campaign was uh it was called Drug Busters and it was an anti drugs campaign which is you know okay fair play um but then I decided you know what would be really funny I'll do an acid house tune. And so throughout this anti-drugs campaign, you had these squiggles of music that was supremely connected to taking
0: drugs. And, and you know, funny enough, they didn't ask me back.
1: But, but, um, but,
0: but I'm, No, I'm surprised because quite often with that sort of thing, you're trying to appeal to youth culture, you know, to, so you'd want to use terms of reference that were relevant. So I'm surprised at that to a degree. Yeah.
2: Uh, I, I think if, if the if the radio station had been run by musicians, they probably would have got it. But instead, it was more like you know, like broadcasters who are they have one eye on uh, the what the tabloid press are telling them about things, and another eye pointing elsewhere. I don't know. That's a strange image. Um, <laughs> there was something else that I thought I'd mention. There's um, there was a remix uh, that I did. Uh, in the Dubstar days, in the later Dubstar days, about 2012, for a band from Australia called uh, Paralox, And they had uh, supplied us with uh, like an electro pop tune. And we were just sort of really just had no idea what to do. And there was this recording session where we had run out of time. And all we could think of doing um, before the pubs opened, I should say, was to take this electropop tune and then convert it into a sort of, I don't know, Phil Spector type thing. Then the pubs opened. Of course, we spent a few hours down there. We came back and this sounded crazy. So then it was a question of getting out all these old shoegays and, and indie records in the 80s and sampling the Jesus and Mary chain and slowing it down. And we'd run out of time. I just thought, OK, sorry, mate. Here's the remix but it went out and i was i i've been ashamed of it and of taking the money ever since until i listened to it a couple of days ago and actually it's i think it's my favorite remix i've ever done because it's <laughs> mental it's just absolutely <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense when you compare it to the original but in terms of creativity it was a combination of uh, anxiety alcohol and a deadline that produced this mad thing so if, if you look on um uh, the internet that we have these days I look for parallax dubstar remix of machines, you'll hear the tune that I'm talking about.
0: Parallax dub right, I'm gonna I'm gonna find that out. So uh, I, yeah. I don't know, yeah, Yo- I Yoad, I, I suspect, you know, I mean we've all kind of been there. I wonder if if, uh, if if you've been in that situation or whether you are fortunate enough to be able to pick and choose uh more.
1: Well I you know I I try to be uh picky these days but I I didn't you know, get to where I am overnight, it took, it took a long time. And, uh, in my time, I did some, uh, pretty nasty, uh, things as well. And, uh, you know, it's just, if, if basically it's, it's a lot easier to engineer and to mix something, which you don't really connect to, um, uh, to produce it, obviously. Uh, because ah, when yeah, you mix, I, I, it's almost like I wear a different hat, and I, and I take the, the tracks and I mix them, and I try to, to, to dig the music and to get into the mind of or the mindset of that particular style and and just do it, and I can, and I, and it's, you know, it's still creative and it's still I give it the the, the same kind of attention and everything, uh, it may just not be my cup of tea or. Yeah, but obviously these days if something is not right or it sounds shit, then I I wouldn't do it. But sometimes you get you get mixes which um something is not quite right, but then I get in communication with the producer or the artist or whatever and and try to see if it's possible to re record something or the vocals or or things like that. So um it, basically, you know, um, if I if I can see that I can improve on something, then I would try to do everything I can to to accommodate yeah. for that.
0: No, I totally get that. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I the, I, I did a lot of remixes back you know, of you know last century in the sort of '90s, and I do remember the ones that I didn't enjoy were the ones that we were rushed on. You know, that it was just like right, let's just do it. You know, we've we got to finish it by tomorrow, and I'd be thinking, oh God, you know. That I didn't trust my instincts at all, so I would be, like, well, I won't have time to make the bad parts, which of, of which there are probably loads, good enough. And I just remember we did a remix of, um, oh God, uh, uh, The Corgis, Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime. We did three versions. We did a kind of like slow 90s kind of, you know, hip hop groove type thing, a house one, and then this kind of disco version, which we did in like two hours. And it was after we'd finished, so we had the, most of the arrangement. And, and, and I thought, oh, this is terrible. And I went back to listen to it, you know, sometime later. And I thought, actually, that, you know, it, it's got a sort of energy and urgency. And I, it's what it is. I mean, in, in some ways, you think, well, why on earth did I spend so much time on all the other stuff when this thing sounded okay?
2: No, no this, is, this has been uh, my experience through the years as well. And it's something that um, when I'm pretending to be a lecturer, I tell my students all the time, try and work as quickly as you possibly can. Um, because then you're you're working on your initial inspiration. You're working on the energy of the music. You're not thinking so much. And so often you end up with, uh, you know, better music as a consequence, as you've just demonstrated. And I would recommend this to everybody. If you can turn around, you know, like finish compositions within regularly within, I don't know, two hours, I, th- I think that's really will improve the quality of your work.
0: Yeah. Well, I think uh, if we had Ty on, then he'd be a, a massive advocate for that because that's what he does all sort of 23 hours a day by the sounds of it, which is why he's never on yeah. the show because he's so busy. <laughs> I know, Charles, I mean, I'm sure you've been in the same situation. I mean, it's different when you've got a paying client. Well, sometimes when you've got a client in and they just go, oh, can we just, you know, I've only got an hour. You sometimes yeah. get that scenario, don't you?
3: Yeah. Um, but, I, but, you know, echoing what he said, I, I I think the whole idea of turning stuff around really fast is such a good thing. That It's all my best work has always been the fast stuff that i did um in fact uh i saw that you had posted something about um the new uh bo battery battery operated orchestra record coming out and i did a remix on that and I knocked it out so fast you know and i and it's one of my favorite remixes so i i love doing stuff fast but i also have done some work that i belabored for a long time and I'm not happy with it, but hey, I got paid to do it. But oh God, I just wish it wasn't out there on the internet. And I won't point anybody to it. I won't show
0: anybody where it is. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah I mean it's yeah. an it's an interesting kind of uh conflagration. And it's something that generally, I mean, you either have to be so arrogant that, you know, and inexperienced that you just go, oh, I don't care, they'll be happy with it, or it, you just have to be experienced enough to know that. It'll be okay, you know, even if it's not my best. I've said this many, many times, I think. Uh, Anyway, uh, what's next? Oh, have you seen this? Uh, Yamaha want to know uh, what uh, your synth ideas are. They've started a new forum, uh, which is actually a third-party application, which is... Called, I don't know what's it called. It's called. Uh, oh, I've forgotten idea what it's scale called. Or idea scale, that's right. And uh, they're saying, join our new community. Uh, let us know your ideas. Got an idea for a synthesizer or feature? We have just a group for you. Set up an idea scale. They're, it's a limited edition. And I actually, I, I joined uh, just so I could keep an eye on things. And, and essentially, it seems to be the idea of, you know, you you just somebody posts an idea for it, it gets upvoted or downvoted, and then presumably the folks at Yamaha might well. Um, you know, pull it on board. And uh, I got into a lot of trouble with this in the comments, particularly one guy who just sort of, because I sort of said, well, is it, you know, perhaps in response to the kind of analogue revolution, as we know, large, Japanese corporations are generally quite slow to move. I mean, yet Roland have changed their structure so they can move more quickly, and they have. Yamaha are still quite old school in that respect. You know, they're very big, and and and, and they do what they do is great for what they need, and they obviously don't feel pressured to do it. But it feels like maybe is this in response to some of that. And I was uh, heavily chastised saying that they'd always done this sort of thing and always and had innovated lots of technology, or whatever. And, and I'm sure that's true. But it's an interesting idea, but I wonder whether people now are, are perhaps a little too cynical to, uh, to kind of go, yeah, you could have my idea, because there's no, there's no mention of reward in any of this.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was sort of thinking, you know, if I wanted a new synthesizer from Yamaha, what would I want? Uh, And also, what great idea would I have that I'd be happy to give away? And I just realized, you know, what I'd really like from Yamaha is a proper update to FM synthesis, you know? Um, And the reason I say this is that uh, about a year ago, I got um, the Reface DX, you know, when they released a whole load of sort of recreations of old synths and one new one. And initially, I really liked it. But then I kind of noticed that the... The sound quality just, I don't know, there was something I wasn't sure about. So I compared the Reface DX to my DX100, which you can see just behind Mm -hmm. me there. Um, And I just noticed, no, this, this sounds really different and not in a good way. So consequently, thinking about this, what I would propose to Yamaha is I would like them to do a proper update of an FM synth. What I want is I want to see... Algorithms you can design to be anything you want, a bit like on the native instruments FM8. What I'd like to see is analog filters built into each voice, but also an analog filter that you don't just stick at the end of the the, the signal chain. It can be at any point within you know any aspect of the algorithm. I want the oscillators to sound as solid as they do on uh, Serum, X for Records Serum, and the ability to draw in or design waves. So you can have essentially any waves that you want that would be uh, manipulated within uh, FM. and that sounded really good and in my head it would cost £200 so I've bought one in my imagination already.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they, it's not like uh, Yamaha haven't, re, you know, represented FM. Montage has got really yeah. monstrous FM capabilities. It's like 16 yeah. operators or something. I mean, it's insane and I know that sort of uh, Richard Devine did a lot of patch design for that and it, I've been trying to find someone who understands it enough to kind of come and do a presentation ever since it came out but it's been very difficult to find and I'd love to because, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot there and they, they did bring out um, other other sort of FM type uh, uh, well obviously the Reface and then before that I forget there were the little desktop boxes they did a load of different flavours I can't remember what they were called and they did an FM version of that as well so they keep doing it but maybe it's not to your yeah. what you want
2: well it, there, there's certain things that I feel that they haven't got right I mean the montage thing is really good and very complicated even for me who's been a FM head since school but um, I just noticed that with the reface thing, they put in some facilities that weren't available in the original incarnations of FM Sense. But but overall, the sound wasn't as good as the... Uh, as I said, the DX100 or even the DX11, which I've got in a cupboard just back there, there's, there, there was something that was missing, and I sort of felt, you know, am I kidding myself? Am I doing that thing of, you know, only liking vintage digital sense? which would be a bit bizarre. But now I've done a, I've done an AB between the, uh, the two, and used them both in, in recordings. And it's unquestionably, I feel like they went off at a tangent that wasn't
0: wasn't at least right mm. for me on yeah, FM. So okay. come back, Yamaha. Well, there you go. They can have that one for nothing. It's, it's, it's always, this is a question that's always hard to ask someone who actually does design instruments for a living, or at least part of what they do, because I'm sure you've got lots of very strong ideas about this. But I mean, in terms of what Yamaha are doing, it's kind of, it, it feels like a, 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 a sea change to me, but maybe maybe I'm just uh, over-reading. I
1: th- no, I think it's a, it's a really good, um, it's a really good direction. Um when you design products i think uh, because you have a community of uh, of of beta testers and of other other channels of you know of opinions that you can um, that you can get from people and i think it's 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 a it's a fine line between having something which is designed by committee uh, then and on the other hand you have an idea and you just go with it and you know, you do your your thing, kind of all the way. Because if you start listening to, to all the different voices around you too much, whilst in the kind of basic designing um, process, then it it could be quite frustrating at times because you can't, you will never please everybody. Um, and so, as as a developer, I. You know for a big company like like Yamaha, I think it makes a lot of sense because they can have the, they have the they have the ability to deal with all these opinions and and like you said it's a it's a quite slow you know moving beast it's it's huge and I can't even imagine how to how you can get an idea and and make it happen uh, through through all the stages that it has to uh to go through it's hard enough in to do it in waves, which is a a tiny company in comparison to Yamaha. So all these processes are, but I think it's, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good way of, of basically, you know, when you sell stuff on eBay or something or as, or Airbnb or whatever, then you have reviews and you have basically feedback from the community, from people. And I think why not add that as an element of the designing uh, process.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's probably true. But I mean, in in a way, you know, it's the way that uh, certainly Korg went a slightly different way with just having uh, having sort of superstar designers aspect to it. So, you know, mm-hmm. Tatsuya, is, he, he was the visionary behind a whole series of products which really did very well for Korg. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's the same in Roland because we're not so aware of their internal structure, but I suspect it's something along those lines as well. But any corporation that has to invest in new technology, as Yamaha have done, they will want to see a return over iteration. So they're looking, I guess, in terms of looking for the next big thing, they might also be looking for something that they can re Reuse, you know, in the same way that they have with the motif and that that sort of thing, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way of doing business. I don't know, Charles. What would you like to see from uh, Yamaha? Assuming you you you've had anything you'd care to share with us or them?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. um uh, Two things I've had from Yamaha that I really liked a lot is I had a CS20, which which I still have, but it doesn't function very well, and uh, a DX7. And it would be nice to have. I mean, that's what they did. They 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 were. Pioneers in the in the whole uh, FM synthesis, uh, and then the structure of the of the CS series, not the not the, like the CS one or any of that stuff, but you know the the old analog CS stuff. I'd love to see them do like a updated version of that that sort of stuff. You know, it it is something that they. I mean, it's not really breaking any new territory, but it's it's sort of uh, polishing up something that they had started many years ago, and I, I think they have an opportunity here. It's it's kind of tricky. I think one of the reasons they probably took on this um, idea scale thing is because it's not that there aren't any new ideas under the sun. Well, maybe there aren't, but um, but it's it's hard to figure out what new ground to break at this time. And yeah. so they're probably trying to figure out how to break this new <clears> ground. But I think you know, at, uh, one section of it is they should take what they've done in the past and and just. Make better versions of it, you know i would love I'd love to have another c s twenty that actually works you know yeah. <laughs> mine doesn't because it's so old, you know and i yeah. haven't bothered to get it repaired yeah. and if you repair it it still has to constantly be repaired anyway but yeah i'd love yeah, to see I, that. So. I i have the c s the reface uh c s version, which you know it's it's nice, but similar to the d x you know it doesn't it doesn't sound fantastic it's but it's mm. fine, you know it no. does like nice pads and things like that, but it's not fantastic.
2: Right. Um, I'd I'd like to make uh, just another suggestion to Yamaha if they're listening and building on what uh, Charles has just said there about going back to the stuff they did really well and maybe taking it somewhere new. We've had, uh, what, at least a decade, I think, of uh, really good manufacturers making bass synths. So I'm thinking of Moog have done this and Korg have done this. Okay, Yamaha, how about this as an idea? You make a monophonic FM synth. It's a bass synth. It's got just two operators, and it's got knobs on the front. And there's one for ratio. There's one for level, for operator two. And then there's just a uh, knobs for an ADSR uh, for the first operator and for the second one. Uh, and then you'd have nothing else in it. It's just that, just two operators, one voice. It's an FM bass synth, and you sell it for 50 quid.
1: Hmm.
0: A thought. Uh, yeah, I just... think that'd
2: be I think that would be extraordinary, quite frankly, because you know, um the digital bass, FM bass is a is a fantastic sound. I, I use it absolutely. all the time. I'm in love with it. Yeah, absolutely. So um why not open up like a whole world of you know uh, digital bass to a new generation with really simple controls that people can buy for the same price as a Volca and also not pretend that it's an electronic, you know, electric piano or a bell or anything like that. Oh yeah, and also make it
1: velocity sensitive, please.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, sorry, go yard.
1: Yeah, basically, uh, Steve, you're just describing Logic's uh, Logic's internal FM synth. It's just word to word, Uh, and it's a it's a really really good synth. You can make like really heavy kind of UK bass. Sort of sounds and and all that. It's just the one for that. I love that synth, by the way. For absolutely. you know, it looks kind of silly because it doesn't have a lot of knobs on it, but the sound is absolutely immense.
0: It's funny we keep yeah. coming back to these old uh, Logic instruments. I, I, one thing I would say in Yamaha's defense, or not that they're being bashed necessarily, is that um, they the stuff that they make generally is very robust. I mean, the refaces are, are very nicely built. You know, they don't build cheap mass production stuff below a certain quality threshold so there's always going to be a price premium for the way that they work and that is obviously you know that's obviously across the company and that's that may be you know a philosophy that they follow and that's totally fair enough and but i think that will automatically create a price point which is perhaps higher than things some of the competition are prepared to do in terms of cutting corners from manufacturing uh, process
2: yeah no I, i think that's completely fair and also to add to that to be fair to yamaha behind me i've got uh, a DX100, a DX7, in uh, that cupboard there. There's a DX11, and I've had them for decades, and they've never let me down. No problem with them at all. Uh, so I think you know, well done to Yamaha for that.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair enough. Good point. Right, I think we'll just take a short break for a message from our friends at Isotope. Of course, this is uh, Isotope Vocal Synth Two. Uh, this is the teaser video, but essentially with, they've completely redesigned the interface. We've got a brand new vocoder, new Biovox module, which does uh, vocal tract modeling, which is very good. Uh, new, like I say, uh, improved vocoder, more bands, higher quality, CompuVox module, uh, TalkBox module. And all, lots of pitch correction and uh, loads of effects. The effects are all reorderable as well. Lots of really powerful vocal processing, I think, for a very modern sound. If you want to try that out, head over to isotope.com forward slash vocal synth. Uh, vocals evolved. Exactly what I was just saying. So, and we did have a competition from last week and we got a winner uh, there. And the winner from last week uh, is uh, somebody called... Uh, Taya or Thea I'm not sure Cochrane who is actually an audio preservation engineer which is kind of interesting I imagine they probably got a few other isotope products but uh, I said uh, I need to plan better next year and try to get to the Leeds Modular Meet which is a random thing but that's a fair comment to make because of course uh, Div Kids uh, aka Ben Wilson Leeds Modular Meet was at the weekend which by all intents was another great venue but uh, you've won (laughs) you've won vocal synth. But thanks for the message. So if you want to get in touch <laughs> at Thea Cochran, then uh, we will be able to uh, pass that on to you. And we're going to have a winner for next week. And we're looking for the hashtag five vocal tools. That's the number five, five vocal tools, and the hashtag Vocal Synth 2 And tweet that to at SonicState and at Isotope Yes, you do need to be on Twitter, but uh, it's no biggie. Uh, so the hashtag... Five vocal tools and the hashtag vocal synth two to at sonic state at isotope Inc and we'll pick a winner for next week. so thank you very much um okay, right uh, now this is again a kind of slightly random um topic, but i 'm not sure why this came up, but youtube's I think youtube's suggestion algorithms are getting much more kind of uh, uh, advanced and I, and I think actually a friend of mine posted uh, this snippet that was on a Facebook video, and I just thought, well, yeah, Bernard Purdy. So, uh, this is Bernard Purdy demonstrating the Purdy Shuffle uh, a drum clinic. The Purdy Shuffle started many, 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 many many, many moons ago.
1: But the best part of the Purdy Shuffle is you've got to remember one thing. The slower you do it,
0: the more effective it is. Try never to do it like this. Purdy shuffle consists of two bars. It's a two-bar phrase. And if you think about it as a two-bar phrase, you'll come out with everything that you need. Eight. Hey, no. uh, I don't know about you. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think I gravitate towards shuffle sounds, and uh, Bernard Purdy is kind of one of the, you know, the 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 the, the, the sound of Steely Dan, Asia and stuff, which is very much of its time. But he was, he's not the only person. But there's, it's just. What a great groove. And he worked with Steely Dan, Quincy Jones, James Brown, Miles Davis, Aretha Franklin. I mean, masses and masses. Still going. 79. I'm not sure when this was recorded. Doesn't look like it's that long ago, although that is actually in. Four, that's like three, three. Or four years ago. Yeah. So three or four. So, you know, still doing drug credit. And the whole thing, he's just sort of like speaking rhythmically while he's just playing grooves it's mm-hmm. a lovely thing to watch and he's just the ease with which he does it i don't know um if any has anyone ever worked on a bernard mm. purdy multitrack at where he's been on that would be oh. uh that would be uh, imagine that oh i have actually have you <laughs> i have
3: actually yeah uh it was um i mean i i didn't do it for commercial release i did it because i you know i studied with al schmidt and um we had all the multi-tracks from asia so that had Hellman Last wow. on it, which he played that groove on. Um, yeah, it sounded great. It sounded great. It was on, I think, if I remember correctly, it was only on four audio tracks, like kick, snare, and then just a, a sum of the, all the other drums on, in stereo. Nice. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> he's fantastic. I mean, that was he was playing Home At Last, basically, right there, just talking over it, you know, with no music. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. God, he's so good. It's It's interesting
0: that I mean, and and I guess the other question is, do you have any sort of favorite grooves? Because I mean, you know, we all went through phases where their groove, uh, the groove was very popular. I mean, you know, back in the the, the 90s, it was the funky drummer and then it was the soul to soul beat. And then, uh, you know, there are all these kind of classic grooves which tend to kind of perpetuate. So there are uh, and the arm end break. There are libraries of specific grooves with specific drummers. I just wonder if you had any specific favorites.
3: Yeah. uh, So I worked with this drummer. Uh it, uh it was i forgot the name of the band they did the 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 theme song to friends um
0: oh yeah uh oh there's something wasn't it the the altars yeah. or the, the not the, re- the
3: not the replacements it was yeah it was, it was something like, like that wasn't that. it okay, yeah I, so i worked with the drummer from that group and um i had a recording i'd made of him for some other project and, uh, you know, I asked him if it was cool if I did this, but I, I, I sampled the hell out of that track because there were so many great grooves all in just this one song. And I think I probably produced maybe 30 or 40 songs that had that, you know, his drumming on it in various places. And, it, and that's <laughs> so the thing is, like, yeah, I do like I, I do like grooves like I love hearing Bernard Purdy play and so forth, but I I. I've always gravitated towards something that I didn't think anybody else would have heard. Um, the Rembrandt.
0: The Rembrandt. that's it. There yeah. we go. That's yeah. where we that got Sky, the, the Sky perfect... Scratch in the chat room. Thank you very much.
3: Yes. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he he was great. He had a 1947, I think it was the Gretsch medallion kit. It sounded beautiful. Um, I just put a couple of mics on the kick, a couple on the snare, and then a couple of room mics and that was it and it just sounded beautiful and i just yeah i just made a stereo mix of it and i used it on so many things and that was my favorite groove of all time but uh uh, and i just love his playing it works with almost any kind of style of music and it's worth i but i always i I gravitate towards things that i didn't think anyone else would have heard right uh, okay because i didn't want anyone to identify it
0: so Steve, uh, you and I both know <laughs> that we've used we those those trope <laughs> grooves and uh, remix, you know, remixes f- throughout the time. I mean, did you did you find yourself trying to uh modify them so they weren't quite so yes. naked? Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um There was a sort of, uh, for people who don't know, my my background is uh, is as DJing. And I uh, initially was sort of uh, DJing sort of electronic music in the 80s, but then um, hip hop sort of took off and then the rare what was called rare groove took off which was essentially jazz funk but it was being yeah. rediscovered in the 80s and what that meant was that they were in, in the middle of so many of these records they had a drummer's break and that was essentially a solo by the drummer and it meant what was happening here was that hip hop guys were getting two records and they were which were identical and they were playing the drummer's break on the left hand de- uh, disc and then when it came to an end they would then mix in the same break from another record so they were creating you know a, basically an infinite length uh drummer solo and i loved all that stuff but there was a sort of year zeroed for me and there was a record that came out which was by i think they only ever had one tune they were from bristol they were called fresh four uh they did a version of a song called wishing on a star and it blew my mind for lots of different reasons. the, the the first one was that it was so sparse. It was like a, a dub record, but with hip-hop breaks going on. And then I realized, listening to it, that it was a combination of two different break beats. Now, there was the very famous... Uh, James Brown funky drummer, which all of us here would instantly recognise, but they combined, they slowed it down a bit and then they combined it with what sounds to me like uh, a song called I'm Coming by Bobby Bird. Which okay. also I, I, also I have amazing. it here.
0: I'm going to play a yeah. little bit of it, but I don't want to... I'll, I'll just bring it up underneath while you carry on talking.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's like I'm back on the radio. So, um, so you had these two beats going on at the same time and now we've, we've gone to a completely sort of new place um it it was no longer just kind of like regular uh, hip-hop and it wasn't just taking a bit of somebody's record and looping it there was a new creativity that had gone on and i found that uh really inspiring and in fact um again just referencing my old band if you listen to um what was uh, ultimately the biggest dubstar tune stars the very first thing that you hear is uh a very famous sample which i'm not gonna name um, is... but it's but it's but yeah. it's played twice right it's played twice at two different sections within the breakbeat beat at two different speeds and so you get that kind of like tumbling snare pattern that became very very popular uh, uh with the jungle djs when they chopped up the amen break so yeah to answer your question yes i'm just i'm just
0: looking at the video i've got the video here actually and i'm just looking and that looks like i remember this this was smith and mighty remix this
2: yeah that sounds about right
0: and i just saw i think that was daddy g who was one of the uh members of massive attack so i think this might have been his first thing there he is i'm pretty sure that's daddy g anyway that's that's It's an
2: absolutely oh. extraordinary record, I think, and and it's a sort of it's the very tail end of the eighties that I think people kind of uh, often overlook that bit before. Sorry to use a dirty phrase here, but trip hop took over in the nineties. Yeah, where,
0: summer,
2: yeah. Well, well, yeah, where you had this the amazing sound of these live drummers but being placed in samplers and making not rap but a different kind of uh, pop music, which uh, is um, extraordinary. And, and I, I do actually kind of regret very deeply that we don't have a, so much of this going on today. I think that the lawyers in the, the music industry rather clamped down on that towards the mid to end of the 90s. So whereas you had these incredible records um, being made by people like Norma Cook, who lives just over there, um, made up of cutouts of other people's records, that doesn't happen now. It's just too expensive. And I, mm. I think that's a shame.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I don't know, uh, Yoad. I mean, you get a lot of multi tracks through. Uh, I mean, do you often get an actual drummer on the multi tracks these days, or is it mostly been,
1: you know? Uh, no, I do mix. Uh, I do mix some drums with uh, some tracks with drums. I always enjoy it. I mean, that's the best. Like when you when you start a mix and you're pushing the faders up and you hear like a real, real ki- uh, kit, then that's always uh, that's always nice um even though it may end up not quite the same after i finish with it but uh but you know that's that's what we do uh, but obviously the when the, the essence is there and the sound is there and what i would like to say about uh, bernard's am- amazing um, video is just if you notice you can't see any mics in the picture the only mic you can see is his headset maybe there's an overhead mic somewhere but the sound on this video is amazing. And then I went back and, and watched some, some of it, other videos, which I, which I've seen some of them, um, in the past, it, it's, this the sound of his kit. It just sounds amazing. You know, the balance is perfect. And it's a very light player,
0: isn't he as well? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's like, there's the something about the instrument that it, it, you know, it, it kind of, um, it just sounds great. It's an extension Um, of exactly yeah. exactly and the way he sings and the way he plays and the way it all sounds and the way he hits the hi-hat it's it's just magical it's just an, yeah uh, an amazing there are, uh, there
0: are i mean there are a number i mean obviously there are a number of other fabulous drummers i've got a couple of fav- uh, uh, but uh because i was originally going to ask this question are any other favorite drummers and i didn't ask that question so i'll answer with a couple of my favorites and uh obviously steve Jansen, m- more of a modern drummer kind of combination of machines and overdubs he was kind of the master of playing on top of drum machines and and uh, astonishing grooves, and I remember seeing him once live playing Bath, and he looked so bored. It just looked like it was so easy for him, and it was it was really complicated. And I sort of I felt I felt it was almost I was a bit disappointed that he wasn't trying very hard, you know. But uh, anyway, that's one thing. But uh, gotta gotta say a uh, real big Richie Hayward of Little Feet. Again, very brilliant uh, sort of purdy shuffle drummer, absolutely amazing. Uh, Little Feet's last record album, and while it's very sort of bluesy and swampy, it, it, you know, might not be everybody's cup of tea, the drumming and the rhythm is fantastic. Also, uh, John Stephen French of Captain Beefart, another amazing drummer that, uh, you know, you just don't get those kind of mad ones anymore so much, I suppose, but uh, I did have a couple of bits hmm. queued up, but I didn't, uh, I never kind of got them ready, so I'm not going to play them now. But if check it out, um, uh, Richie Hayward, amazing drummer. Yeah.
1: Well, I can tell it's you who mine Stevie is. Oh, oh, who's Art. your favourite?
0: Yeah. Go on then, you go first.
1: And um, Neil Peart from Rush. He is like, he's a genius. The man is a genius. Um, I like Phil Collins. I like his drumming uh, in Genesis and, and uh, even in, his stuff in, in the 80s. I think he has an amazing sound and he started this whole, obviously, gated reverb stuff uh, and all that, but, but you know... He has a uh, he has an amazing sound. Uh, Omar Hakim, um, the way he plays on on David Bowie's "Let's Dance" is just mind blowing. Uh, on the ho- the whole album, his sound and his Steve Gadd, obviously, there's uh, some really really great dramas. But Neil Peart is is the man for me. Uh, it's interesting. O- obviously, Nick Mason and Ringo Starr, you have to mention them yeah, as yeah. well. But uh,
0: there's a lot. I mean, there's loads and loads of U.S. drummers. There was a big period where drummers from the U.S. were really popular, and, and I think. Um, and this is just a, 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 a simple fact that a, a lot of them were, uh, they learnt their chops either in military bands or in marching bands where you, the snare work was kind of, you know, it was all very disciplined. And so a lot of those guys, their, their snare work was just so, and their feel was so great because they were so disciplined. I don't know that that happens so much now. I mean, there are still, I mean, that the, the age of superstar drummers seems to have dropped off a bit. It's more seems to, It's more about the personality and the kind of, the, what they project than than maybe what they're playing so much now. But anyway, everybody gets a go. So, uh, so uh, Steve, favourite drummers or, dro- or grooves? Uh,
2: uh, or, or grooves? No, I'm, I'm, my favourite drummer really comes from my childhood. Um, Stuart Copeland, remember him? Ah, yes, uh, yeah. brilliant. So he drummer. was the yeah, yeah. So he was the drummer in the Police, and I think if you listen back, not to um, not to the last Police album, although that is really good as well. But just basically the earlier stuff, you really can hear. a a musicality there a sort of personality that i haven't really spotted elsewhere i mean mean, to be honest i haven't been looking but he springs to mind uh and also he was a good songwriter as well which wasn't given a lot of credit literally in the police
0: that's very true quite a lot of similarities between stuart copeland style and uh, omar hakeem i would say but that's just an observation but anyway uh charles
2: yeah
3: yeah, I was gonna say Stuart Copeland. He he beat me to the punch on that one because
0: uh, <laughs> sorry. Especially
3: on, on Ghost of the Machine. I love the playing on that. Um that's to me that's 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 their best record. I mean I don't I not uh, Synchronicity has good songs on it, but it's nothing compared to the brilliance of the whole album of Ghost of the Machine, and his playing is fantastic on that. I absolutely love that album.
0: It's the it's um, the power of the three piece, isn't it? Once again, you know, it just, is. Really Again, is, yeah. you just have to kind of do whatever you can with what you've got left, or it has the idea has to be so strong in the first place to be able to be uh, uh, rendered with only three musicians, you know. So yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, I, I, times marched on. I haven't really realised that we've got so far. So I, we have to make a choice between the uh, these two topics. We've got the what's the fascinating fascination with these machines or the reverb quiz. So I'll take a poll on there. Hands up for uh, drum machines. Okay, two a hands up for the reverb quiz. So that, yeah, that's a tie. That's weird. that's very tricky. Okay, uh, damn. No, that, that's both. No, do them both. Do them both. All right. Well, we'll do that. Okay. So let's uh, let's get this. Is a video. This so is my uh, students and Eric Hawk Hawkins. Close to me knows that I love drum machines. In fact, I got my start with drum machines in the studio with. A classic DMX, Oberheim DMX and a Lynn Drum drum machine, the Lynn Drum 2 technically, but the Lynn Drum drum machine. I, I, I mean, it is a very talky video. It's not really a sounds video, but it's just him. He's got a massive collection of video uh, of uh, drum machines. In fact, uh, this came from Synthetopia. Uh, what's it featured? There's the DDD5, Korg, 626 Roland, Yamaha RX5, Sequential Tom, Oberheim DX, Air HR6. I mean, there's a whole bunch of 80s drum machines. And listening to them now, you know, they're not Actually, there's not so many that are. Uh, they are of their time. There were there were less of them yeah. that you know. Obviously, we've got the, the the 808s and all of that sort of things. But these are more the digital side. I just wondered if there's uh, any kind of. Uh, are we? Are we looking back at these through sort of somewhat rose-tinted spectacles? I mean, the the ability to program drum machines more effectively now, with particularly with parameter locking and parameter recording, has completely changed the way that drum machines are part of you know a, a pattern. Because you know now you might not necessarily program an entire song; you program a groove, but you can make it evolve by tweaking it and changing <coughs> parameters now. So that you know, is there anything that still stands the test of time? I'm going to come to you first, Yoad,
1: just because. Um... Yeah, I, I want to talk about the sound of these um, old drum machines. And uh, there's something about the mixer. Wh- when, when you have a digital mixer, so when you have a stereo out or a mono out, then it means that all the drums um, go to a, in, through a digital mixer. The digital mixers, um, when they run on, uh, at 12-bit or, or 8-bit, they're going to introduce so much um, distortion and noise, even just for the fact that you have a fader, but then you have another summing stage. And so the degradation of the sound is so intense that you get this very distinct sound. Um, And if you listen to uh, the difference between, uh, let's say RX 11 or, um, or, or something like that, uh between the individual out uh the sound that comes out of the individual out then to the sound of the of the mixer output the the left right that there's such a big difference and and this is something to that contributes a lot to to the sound it's it sounds so bad um that the sound doesn't have a choice but to become huge so it's so it's it's like that and like that and then you turn up the volume you know it's like full of noise it's full of of kind of juicy digits kind of uh, <laughs> all squashed digits. together yes, and tunnel. uh and uh it just sounds it just sounds so good um that's that's what I wanted to say about drum machines so hmm. it's it kind of people people are talking about the source about the 808 kick and this and that and the the 909 hat and and all that but um, by the way on the 909 the mixer is is analog I believe I'm not sure uh, because it has analog elements and digital elements it would make sense to 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 ah, okay. use the d2a and then to to mix it uh, in analog so you wouldn't have the same not necessarily. You would have other artifacts uh, caused by cheap kind of, um, you know, uh, IC mixers and things like that. But um, but just to to I wanted to point point out that aspect right. of the sound of all drum machines that um, that's
0: that's probably what is it's unique. Got. All I remember is uh, that I've just found them really infuriating to use because I hate doing with patterns. I don't know, Steve. You sounded like you were about to back to go there and i'm guessing you know you you and i both grew up when drum machines well actually drum machines were more in the wane really it was npcs and and computer sequencing mm. and samplers that really kind of took over when i was well
2: i yeah um i mean i i do think that there's a lot of nostalgia uh, involved in looking back on these machines and and liking them i think that really they have been surpassed having said that though there's just a couple of things i want to mention. Um, if you can listen back to the raw sounds you get out of uh, Oberheim DMX or DX uh, or whatever it was, DMX, and then you compare that to uh, listen that to a Lin drum or a drumulator all of these sort of mid 80s or early 80s uh, digital drum machines there's something about those sounds and I'm not I don't mean uh, the the mixing element and the digital degradation that Yereb was talking about I'm talking about the the, the recordings themselves they're really strong that they they're completely dry um, and they're highly usable sounds um, and I noticed because uh, I was really just a kid when these things were coming out originally. I love the sound of them. When I got my first digital drum machine, which was a uh, an Alesis HR16, for anyone. Knows oh, yeah, that as for many, the, it was yeah, huge. That one I was had one. Massive, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive, It seemed that their, their, their big yeah their big selling point was that they had a lot more memory in them, as in sample memory, and also it was higher quality samples as well. Um, and so that was a good thing. But what I noticed was was that the, the the sounds were longer. They had more reverb on, but they were sort of they weren't com- they didn't have the same commanding presence that these older machines had with the shorter memory. And I realized that I think maybe the, the reason why these older machines, to my ears, sounded better was because the engineers had to get it right. There could you couldn't have. 20 different snare sounds there was going to be one maybe two at most and that their length was going to be tiny so those sounds had to be killer sounds um i think that's part of the big appeal for me of these old drum machines they just sound really good the other thing is i would throw in there was a period in uh, the mid 80s where bands were um, stopping, you like guitar bands Were stopping using drummers And using drum machines instead And I went to two gigs and I saw two bands um, Which I didn't know Prior to going to these gigs I saw the Cocteau Twins yeah. um, Support or- Orchestra Believers oh, in the Dark them. On their Dazzle Ships tour And they came on <laughs> And they didn't have a drum. And I was thinking, this is mad. They had a tape machine. But then the sound that came out, it was the, the whole PA was, was being sort of dominated by this enormous guitar sound and drums that were just spot on all the way through. And it just felt great. But a year later, I stumbled into a Sisters of Mercy gig. and then And there was three guitarists on stage, no drummer. And a drum machine, that nowhere to be found. Basically, you couldn't see anything because it was so dark and it was smoke everywhere. But again, it sounded tremendous, and it it felt like this is the future. It's guys, well, being goths, without drummers and and having digital drum machines instead. It sounded really good. That's my nostalgia trip for these drum machines.
0: Oh, goths without drummers. That's another classic show (laughs) type... there's just there's just so many so many show titles here I, i'm guessing charles you know i mean a lot of the bands that you are doing the sound for now the front of house sound because obviously you do omd you do howard jones i mean they are drum machine driven acts aren't they
3: yeah they are uh although they both of those acts choose to use a live drummer though there is a lot of electronic drum stuff happening well with howard it's all electronic drums with omd it's uh, it's a live kick, live snare, live floor time, live hi hats, and everything else is electronic. Um, but yeah, you know, I was going to say about the nostalgia thing. I think, so like I've had a lot of drum machines. I, I bought a Boss Doctor Rhythm when it first came out, the, the first one, uh, a 908, 909, 909, 707, 767, and so on and so on. And I just, uh, you know, I think, I think like right now we pine for sort of the, analog sound and so forth and i think probably about 20 years from now p- people are going to pine for the mp3 sound or that you know i remember the old days of 12 and 16 bit you know i i just think there is a lot of nostalgia there 128 I mean, I did just, kbps yeah. yeah i did just buy a, a <laughs> drum boot you know um which which i love but i i bought it because of it's just it's there i can just hit go you know dial in tempo and hit go and i have like a a basic thing i can play along with Instead of setting up some sort of drum thing in Ableton or in Pro Tools or whatever, but generally speaking, I, I just, I'm just not really a huge fan of drum machines. Also, I, I, and on a further note, I'm probably get a lot of hate mail about this, but I just like like I get so many emails every day from various sample companies saying the ultimate 808 collection, the ultimate yeah, 909, yeah. And I'm just like, how many more 808s and 909s do we need? How many more of these? How many more of these? you know grooves and stuff i mean all this old stuff is it's it's all been sampled by somebody (laughs) just like yeah oh god i would agree if anything i gotta say that while i do a lot of remix work i I am kind of moving away from drums because i just feel like the market is saturated especially with all these old drum sounds it's just absolutely saturated it's like you know well why try to go into the same door that 500 other people are trying to cram into? I'm going to find a different doorway in.
2: Can I just quickly throw something in on what you just said there, Charles? Um, about so many eight or eight samples going around, and yeah, the market is saturated. But if you listen to... Um, if you go onto Spotify and listen to Rap Caviar playlist, it's basically modern hip-hop. And it seems like everybody is using eight-to-eight um, eight samples and everybody's using very similar very slow grooves and I was thinking this is crazy what why has this happened why is hip-hop seems to just sort of stops and growing and somebody um, who works for these uh, sort of people pointed out that actually where the artists are pointing their attention now is getting onto playlists and if you're going to get onto a playlist you've got to put out a sound that fits the current sound of the playlist consequently that's why these guys are still using 808s. They are consciously trying to sound like the other tracks that are on that playlist in order to get on that playlist. So I would recommend, guys, just have a little listen to these really um, popular playlists and 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 chat to people whose livelihoods depend on getting on them and see what hear what they have to say. And it's usually that they're trying to make something that fits into that sound, hence, Thousand eight or eight libraries
0: that is interesting. That's so that reckon. That's really that's a really interesting point. And so, in some ways, the tyranny of you know, we used to be trying to get on popular radio, Radio One or KR KCR FM or whatever it is in the states, the equivalent it used to be you know, you had to fit a certain mold, you know, whether it be the three minute single or the blah 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 blah. This is actually even more micro. Micro genre yeah. specific. specific. Ah, yeah. right. Okay. And, and also,
2: sorry, just, just, just to add one further thing on this, this will only become more prevalent. For example, um, you know, around at my parents' house these days, they don't have a hi-fi. They have an Amazon uh, Alexa. So whenever they choose music, they're using their voice. They're not typing anything in. They're not looking through CDs or anything. Um, so they say, well, it, my parents don't say this, but a person would say, play me some modern hip hop and it goes straight to a playlist. It doesn't even it even bypass artists. It's straight to the style. And again, the style and what ends up on this playlist is, is determined by what fits in that playlist. Wow. So this voice activation thing is going to lead to even more. I don't I don't think this is a negative thing actually. I don't think it's going to lead to lead to homogeneity, but I think it does mean you're going to have to be, as a producer of music, very careful that you what you do fits into these channels. If you want to get
0: paid, wow. Okay, yeah, that is that. That's a very good point. Did really did not know that. I wanted to call out a bit of love for the uh, the Kawai R fifty actually of the digital oh, drum machine, because oh, yeah. and this is something because I I used to I, well I started working uh, I was working in the studio working on remixes and um, before you know I. Back in the DNA days, you know, I had my library of sounds and I stopped for a while and I was doing some other stuff and then I had to build up another one and I got all these sort of drum machine libraries when I started working with Goldfrap. And the Kawaii R50, all of the sounds out of that, apart from maybe the bass pull or whatever it is, they work they and they were the, whoever recorded them, and it was because that they, they were heav- heavily processed on record. They sounded like they'd already come out of their separate outs and been turned into a modern drum sound for, for its time. Mm-hmm. And there's some great, if you check out the art, the Kawhi R50 and the R50. I used to, I used to have R100. one. Did you?
1: I used to have one. I loved it. It sounded so amazing. And yeah. by the way, the R100, which was its bigger brother with the multiple outs and, and everything sounded sounded better but kind of sonically but there was something about the R50 that was just amazing there was one kick and one snare like <laughs> the kind of gated one beefy snare drum two two i think it was uh just an amazing and the hi hat it's a really really good uh, little um uh drum machine i couldn't afford the the R100 so i bought the the R50 at the time really good one yeah mm.
0: I think that's uh, I think that's a good call. Uh, well, I, I think the R fifty is good. So yeah, and there's there's plenty of sample sets out there. I mean, I, you know, they've been going around for years. I mean, I used to collect them all into uh, into EXS and just either just and I, I have kit ones, but then I take all the kicks and I do all the kicks across the keyboard, mm-hmm. all the snares across the keyboard. So then you Same. could just uh, I mean, which is. But the, I'm coming back to uh, you know that's why when you mentioned your thing last time we spoke you had know, about the uh, the way that you dial in. Absolutely. Chat, uh, we, ne- that, we need we need to do, do and, something and, on that at some point.
1: That's. Yeah, I know I was supposed to do it this week, but hopefully this week. That's next all right. Week. Yeah, but I mean that's that's one of the uses that that I um, the ways I use uh, this thing with with all the drum machine uh, kind of snares and then you can scroll through. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, um, okay, well, if we've got, have we got time to do this last one? Did, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, okay, right. This is the reverb quiz, and it has, can we guess what kind of synth or keyboard you play? And it's just one of those silly online things, and you know, it's, you, you do, you do start, and you know, how long have you been playing? And you just kind of post, what sort of, uh, what's most important sound quality <laughs> is there? And you go through all of them, and, and then it tells you what sort of synth it thinks you've got. Now, for me, it came up with a Sub 37, which I do have. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, I spoke to Matt Hodson, uh, uh, and he said, it said a growing Eurorack collection, which again is bang on for him. Uh, Charles, did you did you get a chance to check this out? I did.
3: It said I would like a Rev 2. Which,
0: <laughs> which you exactly just bought.
3: I just bought this week. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it was spot on, spot on. Is it that it's- or Sub 37? Or sub- uh sub 37 which i was also considering
0: that's but really interesting it. isn't it how they how they do i mean i don't know how it's it's obviously just you know it's a matrix of uh, questions and lookups and all that but you know it's funny that it managed to get it right steve did you take the did you take the challenge
2: yeah i did and it came back it was correct actually it came back with something like a a a, a collection of soft synths in a daw and i thought oh yeah that's absolutely right but then i remembered two questions earlier it asked me something like do you uh, use a computer for everything to do with music i was like well uh yeah <laughs> so i basically told
0: him what i did yeah it well it back to me ah mm-hmm. uh, well there you go I, my answer to that question was i think um, sometimes for recording as well yeah, right i don't know yeah i don't i don't know if you had a chance to um, try this one out
1: sorry i didn't no i didn't have time before the the show so oh never time. mind
0: never mind but yeah, it was kind of a—it's just a fun little thing. But it's—it's uh, it's interesting that uh, that that it manages. I mean, I don't know how many possible outcomes there were. So obviously, for as many as as many of it as it got right, I'd imagine. You know, well, actually, what's that? That's five out of f- uh, five, five, four out of four for us. Uh, But there were various other people who didn't get it right. But I mean, sometimes you might answer a question into the answer that you think you might want to answer to make yourself look more creatively uh, superior. So sometimes, you know, you might get the the direct results. It's it's a bit like not answering a psychiatrist's questions correctly because you think, you know, what they want to hear. Not that I've ever had to do that, but I imagine it's a similar Mm -hmm. principle. Um, anyway, I suppose well, that brings us to the end. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, before we go, I should just quickly plug the uh, Isotope competition once more. Time, <laughs> if you want to win uh, Isotope's Vocal Synth, which is an excellent uh, multi-module vocal processor with vocoder and vocal shaping, harmonizing, all that sort of stuff. We're looking for the hashtag Vocal Tool Five Vocal Tools. That's the number five Vocal Tools. Uh, the hashtag VocalSynth two that's the number two to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. and if you tweet that then uh, you'll be entered for the competition for next week. Um, thank you very much everybody for joining us. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us there from your uh, your place in London. I might be coming up next Monday, which um, I, I don't know if you're around, but I oh might. let so, me know. I let will know. let you know. Let's, I don't uh, know where, whereabouts, but yeah, maybe I can hook up. The girls will be shopping and I may not enjoy the shopping quite so much and might. <laughs> might have a visit so but thank you very much for joining us joe had lovely as ever and also thank you steve hilliard lovely to have you are you uh, around for a bit or are you um you off um i'm off
2: uh i think it's gonna be belgium next week i'll be around i'll be around i'll be around ah, well, uh, Belgium to... and, then it's Spain, and then it's france but yeah i'm around
0: all ah, right a man of many countries well thank you for joining us steve as pl- uh, as ever uh nice to have Cheers. you uh, And also, uh, Mr. Charles Chicky Reeves there, Uh, are you in studio mode or are you back to hit the road again?
3: Um, I'm hitting the road again. Uh, I have a Howard Jones show on Saturday, an OMD show on Sunday, then we fly to Germany and we have a few shows in Germany. And then I'm back uh, for a while. I think I'm back for like a month before we head off and do some other stuff. I think we're doing like an orchestral gig. Uh, Orchestral Maneuvers is doing an orchestral gig with you know, an orchestra. In the an dark. orchestra. All right. Okay. Wow. In the dark. In <laughs> in it's going to be in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole so, orchestra yeah.
0: are going to be moving around the whole time, right?
2: Exactly. It's going to be like 433, but put to music.
0: Announced, is that show
2: being announced, Charles? Is that orchestral show being announced?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's with the Royal it Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. It's in October. I think it's the 9th of October or something like that. Oh, that sounds fascinating yeah it'll be i've done it before i did it with them in shanghai and um I, oh and i did it in liverpool once with them too so I, it's just a, it's a great show yeah, yeah, yeah. i'd
0: imagine it's a bit of a nightmare to mix
3: no i i have lots of experience where my actually my background was uh orchestral music that so it's really i'm used to that sort of stuff i used to record orchestras and i know how to mix them live which is more about sound reinforcement than anything else but with them it's it's just it is a there is a blending element but I, it's pretty easy to do honestly right okay. they, think I, they think i'm a wizard but you know don't tell anybody it's pretty easy
0: <laughs> yeah you just need to know what to do yes, yes. well thank you everybody for joining us uh so at this point we go to the celebrity squares and we say goodbye to everybody and thank you very much for joining us for sonic talk episode 545 that's it we'll see you next time take care everybody